This is exactly right. said no gifts. I'm Bridger Weiniger. Uh, Happy New Year. This is going to be out in 2022. We're recording it in 2021. It's December, but you're going to be hearing it in the new year. That's, that's something that you as a listener have above me as the host, and there's nothing I can do. So just enjoy that little a little upper hand you have on me, and I look, it's an exciting new time, it's a new me, it'll probably be somebody's year, uh, who may be yours, maybe someone you hate, uh, but let's just get the podcast started with a delightful first guest for the new year, it's James Austin Johnson. James, Hello! Welcome to I Said No Gifts. I... I said yes to I said no gifts. When I got this email, I said yes, yes, yes. And um, I'm so glad to be here in my own home um, doing this podcast with you in, in your home through the magic of the net. You're in a new home. When you agreed to do this podcast, you, at the time, you were in Los Angeles. When you first asked me to do it, I had nothing going on except my wife was pregnant and um, and uh, I was struggling commercial actor <laughs> with seemingly everything going for him, but just not quite enough of a margin to keep everything truly going. You know, my wife has grad school. I've got a child on the way. How will we pay for our modest <laughs> rented condo? How will I keep up my lifestyle of going to the pool? In Los Angeles, California, every day at 11 a.m. with my Kindle and reading my Kindle in a pool no one uses. How will I keep up my hard, tough, hard scrabble lifestyle? And uh, and then along came uh, the big show, uh, which we spoke before the podcast. Legally, I must refer to it as the big show. <laughs> I we spoke and I'm like I can't talk about the big show and here I am talking about it. Bridger, <laughs> I have not I I want to just say I take no responsibility for you talking about the big show. You immediately all I said was you you were living in Los Angeles. You agreed to be on the podcast. Next thing I know, look, we scheduled for October. Next thing I know, you're living in New York. You're running from me. Oh my god. My oh gosh, I went from I went from a land of uh, of uh, bandanas to a land of scarves. <laughs> I went I went from a land of sand to a land of snow. Look, palm trees to whatever tree New York is famous for. 
probably the carcass of a rat um, uh, that has been flattened so many times by garbage <laughs> trucks, but still clinging on to the sewer grate by its leg that it <laughs> resembles a tree as it as it as the subway exhaust skyrockets it. Little rat blanket flying in the wind. <laughs> now, have you had any live rat interactions in New York yet? We love the rats. Here's love what's the rats. Fun. We love the rats because they're beautiful. <laughs> and in Los Angeles, I lived in um, this lake. I lived in between Highland Park and El Sereno in a little area called Monterey Hills. And um, you know, we, we were on this like hilltop in this apartment complex. And Every day we'd go on a walk and we'd see possums, raccoons, definitely coyotes. There were like always coyotes and crows and coyotes would battle. We would see these like <laughs> hordes of crows battling with the coyotes over. I don't know. We'd see rabbits. We'd see all this. New York just has pigeons and rats. I have not seen another creature besides pigeons and rats. Yeah, there, I, maybe you'll see a different bird occasionally, but pigeons and rats, <laughs> pigeons and rats. And I love animals and I choose to love the rats. And there there are some beautiful rats. Some of them are gigantic and wolf like. And then uh, <laughs> some of them are more of the mouse uh, description. And uh, I, I tend to prefer the smaller guys. But any sign of wildlife brings a smile to your face, does it not? Just a little bit of whimsy. I mean, whimsy. I, my, I had a decent amount of rat interactions in New York. I had one come out of a garbage can towards me. But I've also had rats in Los Angeles. I've had one run across my feet. So, oh, my. In Westlake? Uh, it was in Mid-City. 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 Mid-City, Mid La Brea, right outside the Ralphs. Rat it's, right it's, across the feet. Inside Ralph's? Not inside Ralph's. Outside Ralph's. But then I <laughs> ran into Ralph's. Ralph's. And you ran into Ralph's and uh, the incredible everyday savings inside Ralph's really. <laughs> I feel like Ralph's has decent savings. As far as the Los Angeles grocery stores, well, Ralph's is probably the best one. Vaughn's? Uh, no. 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 You're paying a premium at Vaughn's and it, you know, I don't know what I'm getting out of it. No, Frankly, I mean, Vaughn's has nothing to offer as far as atmosphere. Yeah, and even what atmosphere? I mean, you go in, a, you go in anything that is Vaughn's. You go in Safeway, you go in Albertsons. In, when I lived in Oklahoma as a child, we, we had Albertsons. Um, it's all the same thing, and you get the same yellow-brown 1989 lighting that's never bright <laughs> enough and... You get the, you know, they haven't changed any of the stuff. And I don't necessarily, here's the problem. I don't like the store brand stuff there. I'm quite partial to the Kroger brand products that <laughs> you get at Ralph's. Yeah. That you find at Food for Less. I like the Kroger brand stuff. I trust it. I love that little blue uh, logo. It looks like Ford. Uh, so we shopped mostly at Ralph's. And then we kind of became a Whole Foods. I think I entered a certain... I got to a certain level with, you know, well, showbiz. I feel was, like we were uh, I've people. never met you. I have met your wife, Becca, because yeah. she was running a biscuit business outside uh, out of your condo, which has been absolutely devastating to know that that's no longer part of the Los Angeles area. 
it's it and she's devastated that she can't furnish biscuits for all of the different people who would come by and get them uh we were very flattered that you came by that you enjoyed them i have been enjoying her biscuits for a long time and um she the way that she the way that my wife makes biscuits is like they're not really the kind that you get in like portland or when someone who's not from the south makes biscuits she makes these ones that i'm very familiar with that like are very grandma style they're like crispy on the outside and very soft through the middle they're smaller you can enjoy multiple ones because they're smaller right you actually get fatter because you're eating (laughs) you're eating like two sandwiches at once yeah exactly yeah she so she had started the the biscuit business i was part of the pilot program Mm -hmm. i think i got six or eight biscuits was eating two and maybe this is a peek inside my life that's content. I was eating about two a month, spacing them out, thinking the end of this cycle, I will just go buy some more. And as a member of the Mima's Biscuits pilot program, I just want to say I never thanked you enough. We were so appreciative that you submitted to being hooked up to diodes and <laughs> electrodes as we monitored your enjoyment of the biscuits. I know that that final round, uh, let's see, we took biometric data of your body as you enjoyed the biscuits, the first biscuit that you had, and I want to say the last of the batch. And both times you, I just want to say during all of the electrical charges that we pulsed through your body, you were so resilient. You were so, um, you were just present. And that's how I knew we had a special product. It was a few burns here and there, mild scarring. It looked great. I feel better than ever. I yeah. feel like I've, you know, learned. I've kind of just figured out who I am as a person. I let go of some vanity that was probably probably had to be let go of anyway. Yeah, I mean, I saw the way that you were drooling, and I was like, he isn't just going into into shock. He's that's a pleasure drool, and I <laughs> I will admit that I hooked up a couple diodes to myself after that and gave it a spin. <laughs> um, so we had some fun with that as as uh, in our marriage. But she is a, an excellent baker. Do you both cook at home or is it just Becca who's doing this? I would say that I'm the cook and Becca's the baker, which mm. is awfully gendered. And uh, <laughs> um, that's pretty rough. But um, she she just I think this was more she always had that skill. And that's something that she would do with her grandma and her mom. They were like pie makers. They would do it as a seasonal activity, um, matriarchal sort of tradition thing. And then um, cooking, I started watching a lot of Food Network uh, a few years ago. I got really into Food Network and um, especially Chopped. I just started watching Chopped all the time and I started picking up, you know, what was happening on Chopped. Oh, here's what it is. I got really into Alton Brown's Good Eats. Do you know Good Eats? Oh, of course. Look, That old show. Alton Brown as a personality. I, I have to take in small doses, but the content of the yeah. program, what you're learning, fantastic. Alton Brown uh, is is such a character. He's like a he's like a liberal Republican Bill Nye food <laughs> science uh, open micer. <laughs> like like that's like who he is. That's exactly what's going on. 
I love them. I I look forward to to being a part, frankly, of the Food Network family one day and um, a meeting Alton Brown. Although Alton Brown is like, uh, he's one of the only people who like got sick of of doing Food Network. He got sick of making money, and he he does whatever he wants now. I think he does like he does like live comedy shows like Henry Rollins style. He like what? does these like. He does like live like food lectures where he like plays guitar and just answers questions. And is stuff. he touring? I think he tours. I think he does. <laughs> I I have his cookbooks and he's uh it's it's kind of fun. It, it it adds another layer to the cooking that everything's in metric right. and like all of the things that he you know that he brings to it. I watched a lot of Good Eats, and I think it was having someone explain to me what cooking is on a chemical level, and for me to actually hook into it and start learning it for myself because I had never. No one told me growing up. No one really tells anyone how to like what is happening when you're cooking. They just say like, "No, that pan's too hot for that butter. Right. Burning the butter. Right. Like like no one ever." slows down and here and and alton brown is one of those people who's like okay you either need to put the cold butter in the cold pan and start it up or you need to soften the butter and here's why and so Mm -hmm. as soon as as soon as i had heard enough here's why (laughs) i got enough confidence to actually do cooking myself so i i cook a lot and you feel like you're a skilled chef at this point not at all no i i'm (laughs) i'm a hobby I'm a hobby chef. There are a couple <laughs> things that I'm really good at. I'm good at a lot of like, um, it there's, it's the name of, uh, of a certain cuisine that is the Westernized or that, that is the Japanese version of Western dishes. And you can find it in a lot of diners and stuff, but I make a lot of that stuff. Like uh, a katsu. Japanese version of a hamburger. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, hambagu steak. Uh, that's like a thing that I make that my wife likes a lot. They, they like, hamburger steaks with like demi gloss and like oh red wine and stuff it's like there's a lot of they sort of uh conflate french with british and mm-hmm. it's like this european all at the same time american all at the same time omu rice uh i'm really good at it's uh, you like you fry rice with a little um with a little demi gloss again and uh or katsu sauce or something like that and uh make it into an omelet and yeah, you know, a lot of omelets. Did Alton Brown teach you this or is this something separate? No, this is like, this is me. <laughs> this is so weird. It's like, I was this little jerk all my <laughs> life about scripted television. All my family watched was like reality shows and they did not like watching like scripted TV. And I wanted to be a comedy writer. I wanted to, so I, I was really into like, I was like the, high schooler watching six feet under and trying to get everyone else at my Baptist <laughs> high school to watch it with me and stuff. Good luck. People are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, 10 years into pursuing working in comedy and acting and writing things and all that, I lost my taste for watching scripted television. Now all I watch is the reality that I used to shit on. <laughs> and, uh, um, I think watching a bunch of Terrace House. Do you know Terrace House? Oh, I I am familiar, but I haven't, I think I've watched like three episodes of it. It's, it was oh. very pleasant. Oh, Terrace House. I've seen, there are seasons of Terrace House that I've watched multiple times. Um, it's, uh, it's this very pleasant, slow burn dating show that uh, is very popular in Japan. 
And um, so seeing some of the dishes, it's also a little bit of some lifestyle porn when you watch it. So like the, the meals that they make for each other and stuff, they're like these long meaty shots of their hot pot that they put together. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of learning some, some of those kind of Japanese dishes that are easy for someone from the West to pick up. Have you been and, to Japan? Uh, I haven't. I haven't. And I know uh, that I look like a white guy who has been to Japan a bunch. <laughs> um, I, I just uh, enjoy, I don't know, I enjoy Japanese TV. I don't know, we were kind of raised with it, you know, Dragon right. Ball Z. It, feels, it felt like a large part of our generation's pop culture or something. And no, we got a lot of that Japanese stuff in the early 90s. And, and uh, so I very casually... A, will learn Japanese here and there. I have like a little Nintendo DS game that like teaches me oh, you're how to write the kana and stuff. But I really got into the trying to learn Japanese and watching a lot of Japanese TV when I had a lot of free time, which is right. so not the case anymore. <laughs> um, but there was a time in LA where literally all I had to do was audition for a couple commercials and then maybe I'd have a comedy show later that night. But it was just me and my wife, and and I would book a couple commercials a year, and we'd keep going, and and uh, I spent a lot of that time just like I'd go to Starbucks and uh, learn learn some more of the <laughs> learn the hiragana alphabet, and uh, and oh, and I would play like Pokemon or Zelda on a Game Boy. I would play like the Japanese cartridge of it. Oh, and were you did did you feel proficient enough to play the games? Because those are pretty text heavy. They're text heavy, but also they're like Pokemon is written for five-year-olds. Mm, so there's certain things sense. like the names of the monsters. That's a little difficult to like understand because they're, there's, they're often spelled out phonetically. And of course, you're not going to understand the context of the phonetical name of a Pokemon because it's a pun. It's a pun in Japanese. So you're like, uh, not gifted enough to understand puns in Japanese. But uh, you understand yes and no, new game, continue. Uh, you learn the, the word for potion, you know, that heals you. You learn the word for potion pretty quick. What is the Japanese word for potion? Oh, uh, potion? <laughs> what a shame. No clue. What it's a been, waste your life has been. It's been a minute. I have not, no, I, I could, I'm, my Japanese is so crappy. Look. There's something else we, we've got to get into here. Yeah. You agreed to be on the podcast in August. Yeah, um, I would say you're vaguely familiar with the podcast. It's yes. I said no gifts. I was so excited you were going to do it. Then, as we've talked about, you fled the state, etc. All that aside, recently, two boxes appeared at my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're here in this bag that says it's time to celebrate, which I hate. And uh, look, the podcast is called I Said No Gifts, James. Uh, is this a gift for me? Bridger, I... Look, you were so kind to have invited me on your show. And the very least that I could do is return that kindness by, I don't even want to say that I'm giving you a gift. This is more like I'm sharing a piece of myself with you. <laughs> and 
I, I specifically, it's a piece of myself that I think you will understand me better. I think it will deepen our friendship because I think it is a little bit of a wink to who you are. So don't even think of this as a gift. Think of this as a as a an object of friendly conversation. This is this is a this is a centerpiece of a moment. I wouldn't even call it a gift, you know. Uh, you don't need to be obliged to even open it. Uh, and the fact that it was gift wrapped, I specifically told Mark and Elise not to gift wrap anything that I sent to you. I screamed at my assistants for <laughs> a good couple of hours um, when I saw that it had been gift wrapped. And of course, I didn't have time to rectify the situation. I said, send it to them anyway. And um, so I'm sorry that it was wrapped as a gift i didn't even mean it as a gift quite honestly well i'll say when i interacted with mark and elise this i i think you should just know that you're screaming at them it's just a cycle that i am now dealing you know they're standing on my porch yelling at me holding this gift yeah. my neighbors are watching um yeah. and now i'm kind of i i can't move out of the neighborhood but mark and elise never have to show up here again so now they've kind of cast a pall on my home so, I'm so sorry. Was was did Elise insist on smoking cigarettes indoors? Oh, she uh, put it out in my hand. I've talked to her about that. See, I keep running into these people that think that it's 1971. They can smoke cigarettes indoors. I have so many people like that in my life now. And um, <laughs> Elise being one of them. And um, Mark, oddly, Mark has worse breath than Elise. And... <laughs> I would think that the smoker would have terrible breath, but honestly, she, hygienically, she's doing a good job. But Mark, um, I, I hope he didn't touch anything in your home. It seems like he leaves a film on anything he touched, like a, like a summer slug. I will say they both took their shoes off. Uh, I oh, mean, yeah. she was smoking the entire time, but very polite about, you know, I said, my, would you mind taking the shoes off the door? No problem. Uh, yeah. So and then the screaming started. and uh, Yeah. But... You know, they're complicated. And yeah. now I've got this gift uh, or whatever it is you've cornered me with, with this little piece of logic you've got. Do you want me to open this here on the podcast? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was hoping to talk to you a little bit about um, these things. Um, <laughs> so I was hoping to talk to you about them because I thought that you would get a kick out of them. Okay. Once again, this is not a gift. This is not a gift. Not this a, is sort of okay. a, okay. a professional... Uh, exchange. Well, I'm going to put that aside. I'm just going to open the gift and see what's happening, and then we'll decide if it's a gift or not. Well, I'll decide. So here's some tissue coming out of the bag, just kind of crinkling. And now there are two boxes in here. There's a smaller one and a bigger one. Do you think, do you have any idea which one should be open first? Does it matter? I think maybe the big one first. Big one first. Okay. I want to say big one first. Got my scissor. Let's get the big one first. See, when you have these things shipped, I was thinking that Mark or Elise would have taken apart some of the packaging and made it a little <laughs> bit better for you. Um, okay. Oh, and now it's actually in another bag. Okay, so it isn't a gift bag inside the box, which was in the gift I bag. Didn't, I told them not to triple wrap anything. I told them <laughs> if they're going to wrap anything. And there's like a, it looks like there's a card here as well. Should I open this thing? Yeah, I think we can maybe look at the card. Let's see what this is. Uh, oh, let's see. 
It says, my dear, a friend of mine and I read this book in high school at the same time to defeat sexual desire and save ourselves from marriage. May we all enter heaven from James Austin Johnson. Oh my God, I can't wait to see what... <laughs> now it's in like kind of a little maroon bag here. This is highly involved. I think you'll find that metaphorically this actually does... <laughs> this does make a lot of sense that the, the, the packaging would be so... Um, oh my God, I... This bag is actually difficult to open. It doesn't make any sense. I have a box cutter right here, yeah, but of course reach. I'm in New York City. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut it open. Cut it open because I had trouble opening my bag. I was not able to open my bag until I was 25. <laughs> um, and um, only, only under the circumstances of a young woman targeting me and staying in my home until the wee hours of the morning, multiple days in a row before I finally was Good able for to her. Uh, with her. And, uh, okay, I've made it through the bag. <laughs> the Okay, I've never heard of this book. It's called Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time. One Victory at a Time. And there is a workbook included. And with a workbook. More than 4 million sold. This is the 20th anniversary edition. So That's right. Kind of a, you know, the cover is uh, beautiful, um, tasteful. Did you read this book in high school? I read this book in high school and uh, it had a different, let me see the cover real quick. If you could show that up to my screen here. It had a different cover. It had, a, it, <laughs> the cover was more of a, you know, white was the dominant color with some, with some bluish, uh, um, dreamy bluish uh, writing on the front, <laughs> but um, I got a copy of Every Man's Battle uh, from a friend of mine, and he was much more of like a devout uh, kind of sin conqueror than I was uh -huh. when we were young Christians, and uh, he, I think, felt very guilty about. Um, uh, his sexual desires. I of course felt guilty constantly about having, uh, developing, you know, uh, sexuality. And, uh, so we read this book at the same time and, uh, I don't know if we discussed it. Right. A whole Were you lot. comparing notes been, at all? It would have been too hot. I think if, if he and I got together <laughs> to discuss uh, these things, I think, we <laughs> I think it would have been too hot. So, uh, but I, I remember reading it and there are things that I read in this book that for some reason, even after I've deprogrammed from sort of the hardcore Christianity, I used to be such an eager participant in, uh, that I still, uh, these thoughts still come up and these like things that I learned in this book still sort of like, uh, like one of the things in the book is like, um, and by the way, it's all, it's a completely like heteronormative heterosexual yeah, book. It is, it is written for men to avoid looking at women. And <laughs> there's a giant loophole. I know. And uh, the author also, you can't help but like when you read this kind of stuff, the guy always ends up tipping his hand at what he finds sexually oh, appealing. And so this guy talks a lot about runners in the morning. <laughs> so I think one of the things that he talks about is um, uh, bouncing your eyes. You're like learning to learning to is the minute that your your eyes are about to land on a juicy ass or a great set of cans 
that you bounce your eyes away real quick. <laughs> I remember I remember practicing this. I remember trying to learn how to be so respectful of the women around me. Do not, do not stare. And then I grew up and I was like, oh, to, to everything there is a season. <laughs> now you've developed a lifelong tick. I've developed this tick and it's like, this may be not the worst thing in the world not to sexualize every <laughs> single woman that crosses your path. But the assumption is that that's what you were doing. The assumption right, is you that- You were just kind of this leering perfect. <laughs> yeah, that you're this lobotomized sort of like walking boner. Uh, <laughs> and so that's, these these Christian books about sexuality always like have this this really weird, like, have you ever had sex before? <laughs> like they have this really weird perspective on all this stuff. And uh, I find it fascinating. I thought you might find it fascinating. Oh too. my God. I love the idea of me getting this book in high school and just being like, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. This is, uh, I'm on top of all of this. <laughs> avoiding, I, way ahead of you here, avoiding women in every possible way. This is fascinating. So you read this book with your friend. Did you do the workbook? What does that even involve? I didn't know it came with a workbook. Is this that in the back of the book? This may be part of the anniversary. Okay. Is it a separate book? It looks like, oh, I'm seeing victory with your eyes. There are discussion questions in, ca in case you have a group that you meet with. I had heard about these groups when I was maybe 13 or 14. These are like, these are like porn and masturbation accountability groups that some young men thought that they needed to be a part of. I remember hearing about these. I was never a part of one. I, even at my most fervently Christian, despised Bible studies and despise. I, I went to church because like in my family, we were part of like the political structure of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, which is this uh, denomination of the church, similar to Methodist, but more strict and more weird. And um, and uh, so we were an important family in that church. I'm like the the grandson of like two important Nazarene figures. And um, so we went to church twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and then like three more times, various times for various reasons and and then my whole family life revolved around a nazarene college and so we were always on the campus of the college and so the thought of going to a fucking panera with eight <laughs> dopes who are all talking about i saw a boob and i and i shit my pants is the last thing on this goddamned earth that i would ever have wanted to do even at the height of my Jesus saucity. I was like, that sounds so fucking awful. I don't want to do that. And also, I will say this, I did pretty good on my own. I did not masturbate Bridger until I had completed a year of college. I never Wow. So the book worked. You've come on here to kind of sell <sighs> books. I guess the book worked. If what you want to work is <laughs> to never experience pleasure and to associate sexual pleasure with fear and tension which i'm still like i'm still working through that that i of course you I kind are. Of screwed up my sexual development to to be in this very unfree unfun zone so it's it's weird and but my wife is from that world too and we both left it and and we it fucked her up in interesting ways too so so we're always talking about like can you believe 
the shit that we used to do. And so it's good because both of us are in like the same boat. So we have a pretty set a bridger. What I'm saying is obviously we've got a baby coming. My wife and I have a very healthy sex life. You've had uh, sex at least one time. I've had sex at least once. And I need the world to know that. (laughs) Um, Wait, what are you, can you say what you're naming the baby? Okay. So one of those grandpas, um, was the president of Treveca, the Nazarene college that um, I grew up around. So um, his name was Dr. Homer Adams. So um, we're naming the baby Homer. He died in July. I was very close oh. with him. And um, then we're searching for a middle name for so long. And we could not think of what the middle name was going to be. And um, last week, my... Uh, grandma died my like very like the youngest one the life of the party Mm. um my sort of best closest friend of the grandparents oh i'm so Um, sorry janelle and uh her maiden name's crawford so when she died we were like this is perfect so now it's homer crawford johnson he's gonna be born at 96 he's gonna be an old man from his first (laughs) breath that is somebody on a riding lawnmower. Yeah, exactly. Oh, riding lawnmower. You have no idea the images that came up immediately of who <laughs> raised me. Um, I'm going to open this next thing here. Yeah. It's another one of these bags, which are just simply impossible to open. This is now this is I didn't know that there was a workbook in every Within, man's battle. Is this a separate workbook? Well, it's something of a fashion, of a fashion that's. I, these bags are like military grade. I've never seen anything like this. Okay. What is (laughs) this? It's a. (laughs) This is, this should be illegal. It's like a, a journal that says complete abstinence is easier than perfect moderation what are we talking about that's dangerous <laughs> to tell people you're, i mean the pressure you're putting on a human mind especially the male mind i mean this is truly you're training shooters with this thing well that's what i'm hoping i'm hoping i'm hoping to program you into an incel uh, that uh, becomes a major, major problem uh, for the FBI. No, um, abstinence only education is, a, I think, a bad thing. And uh, it's a good option for the kids who want to um, edge, edge themselves. Uh, edging can be a fun uh, sexual activity for anybody. But um, uh, complete abstinence is... It's not easier than perfect moderation. It's it's uh, it's very complete abstinence is very difficult, nearly an uh, impossibility impossible. for the human mind. And also, you, literally, our bodies don't do that. <laughs> it's not an, <laughs> they are not programmed evolutionarily not programmed to do that. To do that, that's what evolution is: is the proliferation of this the species. It's all our nerve endings <laughs> telling us to fuck stuff. Like that's all evolution is, and. Uh, and uh, so I've given you this abstinence journal so you can work through every man's battle. You can talk about uh, how you need to not look at women in that way. And then you can write about how many women you did not look at in your abstinence journal. <laughs> Just increasingly angry thoughts in this journal, the handwriting <laughs> getting messier and messier towards the end. It's just a so, it's something for police evidence lockers. Uh, it'll, this will be presented in court after I've 
purchase the you know trench coat and whatever the <laughs> rifle or what have you uh strapped a bomb to myself and then they find this under some dusty uh blanket in my house well it's called podcasts and it's the new fad that's sending guns into malls uh <laughs> as your child listening to podcasts uh more on that at 11 <laughs> Did you uh, have an insane sex education in high school? Um, I would say, well, okay. So I went to, I went to like liberal public magnet schools all the way up until high school. Oh, wow. So I was the only person in my family that had been given access to like Jewish people mm -hmm. and Muslims and uh, the liberal children of college professors and like all this stuff. So so I had a pretty like diverse and challenging uh, middle school, elementary school, middle school experience. And then when I got to high school, the, the academics were so piss poor at the Baptist private high school. Um, I had a couple really good teachers. I will say this. I had a couple really good teachers. And the fact that the school was so small, I was really able to like flourish in like the drama program because I was like, you know, uh, the, my competition was like 10 other people. So, right. uh, so it gave me certain advantages, I will say, but, uh, I hated being taught Christian education by baseball coaches. Cause that's like how <laughs> Christian high schools run is like the baseball coach is outranks any other teacher because like, we really need to lift up the baseball program. Like that's really what's going on. This is a, I mean, you taught public schooling. This is exactly what I dealt with. You, this is what you dealt with. So uh, I just remember we didn't, we didn't really, I think, I think they would have talked from a Christian perspective about sex in the middle school mm -hmm. that I did not attend at this private school. So, so um, by then it was all open and, you know, you go to worship service and you praise God and you talk about um, how good a Christian you are. And then you go to lunch and everyone's talking about um, all the uh, crazy sexual stuff that they did that week and <laughs> the, the whole double life thing that everyone leads in that environment. So it just felt, felt like it wasn't really that serious. Uh, right. Meanwhile, you're like in the corner with every man's battle. I was not dating people on purpose, Bridger. It was on purpose <laughs> that women would not come near me. Um, this is fully unrelated, but did you go see the new pornographers? I did. You Because you posted about them on Instagram. You had an extra ticket, and I thought, he must have gone through his entire list of friends, and they've all said no to this. He's now <laughs> advertising this on Instagram. Well, it's... I put I didn't know how to do it on the close friends thing <laughs> and I posted it on the general thing and I deleted it immediately uh, <laughs> because I forgot that there was a way to make it just like a select group of people. So then I posted it to the close friends thing and uh, I was like, okay, one of my some a friend of mine I've forgotten. Like I don't know who lives in New York. That's the other thing. It's right, like, you're new. I'm new to New York, so I don't know which of my friends have moved there in the last year or two or something. So I was like hoping to see if someone would go with me. And eventually the uh, the director, Stephen Fine Arts. Uh, oh, beautiful. Yeah. And in that moment, I felt an enormous empathy for you. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad it worked out. Was it a good show? 
It was a great show. They played uh, the album Twin Cinema all the way through. Oh, it was like the anniversary of Twin Cinema. So I love that record. It was a really good show. Um, someone told me that it's fun to go to concerts by yourself. And I still haven't, I can't compute that. I always have to go with someone. But one of these days, I'm just going to start going to concerts by myself. Oh, you know it's fantastic. I mean? It's so low pressure. Uh, you know, it's, I still, I'll go with people, but there's something about going with other people to a concert. There's, you're not really enjoying it together, really. And no, there's so not. much pressure to be like, if you're bored, you still have to stick around and you're, there's a, you can't really talk to each other. And when you do, you're kind of just faking it. And there's just kind of the like glancing at each other throughout the show. That's so uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I love going alone. I mean, I can't remember the last show I went to alone, but it's the same with movies and that sort of thing. It's I do like movies alone and I have gone to plenty of movies alone and it is, it's great. I mean, I saw Dune by myself in IMAX and I had such a good time. I always like the movie more. Oh, of course, because you're not worrying about anyone's feelings. Exactly. I saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by myself <laughs> and had a great time. Like lots of movies that people consider like the worst movies of all time. I saw by myself and I was like, that was great. Because I just <laughs> went in to enjoy a movie like at noon on a Saturday. It's, it's movies are nice. It's yeah, a nice activity. It's just a pleasant thing. And I, I feel like the Crystal Skull movie, by the way, big take for me. I think it's absolutely, I remember it being fine. I mean, I feel like there were giant yeah. ants that take over a car or something. But look, these movies are all <laughs> insane. Exactly. Yeah. They're for children. They so. are for children. Should go in knowing it's for kids. You're not going to be getting any deep looks into humanity. Someone will, there'll probably be an alien involved or some sort of supernatural thing. And it's sure, stupid. Sure, yeah. Right. And that's why it's exciting. Right. Right. Okay, I think we should play a game. I would love to. We're going to play a game called Gift Master. And I need a number between one and ten from you. Three. Okay, I have to do some light calculating. So while I'm doing this, you can recommend something, you can promote something, you can do whatever you want. I'll be right back. Well, um, you can, I'm, I'm on the big show. It's on NBC and um, coming to Comedy Central in 2022. I'm a voice on a little cartoon called Fairview. And uh, I actually do a lot of voices on that show. And uh, it's uh, poo-poo pee-pee humor, it's, it's sexual humor. It's, it's uh, um, not for children, even though it's a cartoon. I, I don't know what's going on these days. People say, hey, I'm going to make a cartoon. When are you going to show it Saturday morning for all the children? No, I'm going to show it late at night for all the adults. Okay. And you said it's a cartoon. So I'm on one of those. And um, uh, you, can, uh, you can check that out. Uh, my, my cartoon work uh, just keeps growing and growing, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm a couple of voices in the new season of Squidbillies and uh, Tuca and Birdie on Adult Swim. So uh, look, look for that stuff. Perfect. Look at all of the things you've presented people with. Probably enough yeah. to confuse them, and now they're not going to be able to enjoy any of it. They're going to have exactly. to go back, take a note, whatever. This is, this is Gift Master James. I'm going to name three potential gifts you can give away, and I'm going to name three celebrities who you can give them to. Okay. So you're going to tell me which gift you're going to give which celebrity and why. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. 
the three gifts you'll be giving today. One of them is echolocation. So the ability to kind of uh, yes. use sound to know where you are in the world. It's kind of a dolphin-esque, yeah. bat-style echolocation. Number two uh, is razor-sharp teeth. So that's also kind of an experience-based gift. Um, and and uh, number three is a nonstick pan. So a little bit more... <laughs> Uh, you know, something they can just throw under the oven and use when they need to cook. Here are the people you'll be giving them to. Number one, she's up and coming. She's in everything. It's Beanie Feldstein. Beanie Feldstein, yeah. Number two, oh, it's Lou Bega. Okay, so he Lou hasn't Bega, been on the yeah. scene for a minute. And then yeah. finally... Will I understand Mambo number five if I haven't seen Mambo's one through four? <laughs> absolutely not you will you you will be so in the weeds with that song yeah it'll send you into a frenzy number three everybody loves this person i think uh i could be wrong frank langella frank langella um uh from the gift right was that the name of the movie the gift or the box the box wait was that the one with cameron diaz where it was like an evil box that like yeah open and someone would die or something I think so, and the, that was what he did right after, I think, Frost Nixon, right? Excellent follow-up. I mean, the perfect oh move. One of the best. One of the best. <sighs> okay, so Frank Langella, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about Frank. He's a great guy, and I know he's, like, super talented, and I'm a character actor as well, and I know we would probably be able to hook into a good conversation, Um by getting into maybe, you know, the Meisner technique or uh, <laughs> Stanislavski or Chekhov or something, you know, stuff that actors like to talk of about. Um, Beanie, um, I believe, is is Jonah Hill's sister. She is. Um, she's done some Broadway and um, she's, you know, she's sort of like a comedy, like big, big studios comedies. Although we don't have big studio comedies anymore. Now we have stuff like American Crime Story Impeachment, right. uh, which has taken the place of comedy, but really it's what, I guess we would call it light drama. Light drama. Just drama with a, you know, like a fun spin. Drama with a wry sort of smile. Um, and then, uh, so she's been doing that stuff. And then uh, the second one was Lou Bega, who I'm very familiar with who Lou Bega is uh, <laughs> from, you know, a Disney interstitial I saw one time and his famous song about all the women that he's uh, fucked. So <laughs> the nonstick pan is one of those things where it's like, I feel first that I should give the nonstick pan to this is like something that you give someone who's new to like New York City or something like right. that. I'm not saying that Beanie Feldstein is new to New York City, but maybe she's getting, you know, she's coming up in the world. Maybe she's getting her own Williamsburg um, apartment and uh, she's moving out of like her roommate situation. She's getting her own place and she's never owned her own nonstick pan before. She's always used her, her girlfriends, her her cool best friend's one, you know, her, her roommate's boyfriend's <laughs> nonstick pan. Um, so here she is living all alone. I think I might give her a nonstick pan as, as her career goes up. Now, that said, a young woman lost in New York City wouldn't echolocation be a perfect gift to give her. 
<laughs> I feel like echolocation in New York, you were in absolute hell. You don't think the clicking, you don't think clicking would help you know how high a curb might be or, or I guess if like you're that. lost in a subway tunnel, uh, like making yeah. your way through the sewer system, <laughs> that would be well, perfect. Okay. The last thing I saw of Lou Bega was he was on Polish TV. Um, <laughs> this is some, somebody posted this on Twitter that Lou Bega was singing Mambo Number no. Five on Polish state TV at a <laughs> celebration of like the Polish independence or something like that, or some sort of like liberation action thing. So there's like a camera panning past a fighter jet to Lou Bega standing in front of like female dancers in like pseudo military theatrical garb. He's and being held like against dancing. his will by the Polish state. Yeah. He's, he's being held by a Castellan, uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Poland. Um, so I think Lou Bega, he's lost in, uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, he doesn't know how to get back. He's, he's eaten so many pierogies that he just wants to curl up and, and fall asleep, but uh, it's a cold, windy, frigid, rainy area. Um, I think that the echolocation, pierogies are soft enough that I think that echolocation is what he needs, not the razor-sharp teeth. <laughs> I feel like there's plenty of mush in Eastern Europe. So, you know, dietary-wise, he's yeah, fine. Yeah, overcooked cabbage and uh, <laughs> these kinds of things. So sauerkraut and... And I think that the echolocation will help him because if he gets lost on his way back to the airport, um, he may need to use his clicking, you know, to find his way through the woods. Right. Um, I, I will also think of using that clicking to find your way from like from Monica to Jessica or what have you. Oh, of course. Yeah, he, he needs both of them in his life. <laughs> and uh, the echolocation could really help him make that happen. Um, hey, by the way. How, how big is this guy's bed, Bridger? I count 30, 30 <laughs> women in this song. I mean, that, this must be this bed must be a wider screen than one of those uh, uh, anamorphic uh, lens shots from a Wes Anderson movie or something. You know what I mean? Uh, God, what is <laughs> this? Is he, he goes into the contacts in his phone and his phone says, "I quit." <laughs> The casual podcast listener can't hear this, but I, I leaned into the lens and gave a face like, what? I feel like I you could that. feel that through the audio. Which, of course, leaves razor sharp teeth for Frank Langella. This is a man who's getting older, and we all know that our bodies fail in all these weird sorts of ways as we get older. And I'm guessing that Frank Langella, who's a very large man, maybe a burly man, um, I bet he enjoys uh, a nice steak uh, every once in a while. And if his career were to really take a downturn, if, if some of his investments didn't pan out, and he's going from eating Wagyu to moving down to a top round to a chuck, Just to a, a chuck really steak. A grizzle, grizzly chuck steak. A very grizzly cut. Um, he might want that razor sharp teeth. Because uh, Frank Langella... I mean, he he's not as in the spotlight anymore, but he doesn't quite have the time to braise um, a smaller cut, like a, a worse cut of meat uh, for hours in like a bourguignon kind of preparation. So um, I, I think he needs the razor sharp teeth to 
to cut through that that chuck stick. <laughs> At this got. point, he only has the time to eat it out of a bowl like a dog. <laughs> so you're saying. He's uh, yeah. point in his career that he's not using a fork or knife anymore. He's eating meat, meat just straight off the table or it's being thrown <laughs> through the air and he catches it in his jaws. Yeah, Frank Langella is like, uh, is, he's tied up in Ron Howard's basement or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got a dog thing. I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Langella had a dog thing. He, wanted to treat he has always given me kind of a, a Dracula vibe or something. There's some there's a Dracula vibe where I can see him kind of in a manor or like a you know yeah. a shadowy estate. Uh, yeah, those teeth. I think that would work perfectly. He lives in a shadowy estate, and he's got razor sharp teeth. But I do think that there's a warmth there that in the third act we could reveal that uh, he's merely just a lonely and misunderstood person who needed to be shown affection from the protagonist uh, to, to brighten up and for, for the entire perspective to shift, a la the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2, <laughs> right. a la the shovel man from Home Alone 1. Are these the only examples I can think of of a role like this? Yes, but there's more of them. Is there anybody with a... With razor sharp teeth, is there like a, a horror character whose thing is the sharp teeth? I'm just picturing Mortal Kombat characters. Yeah. Riff Raff, when Riff Raff has a grill in. <laughs> that's sharp he enough. Has, he, has like, he has like sharp teeth. <laughs> I think that that's excellently played. I think that you really, I... Did I do it? Beanie seems like somebody who could absolutely use a nonstick pan, maybe a new iron, an ironing board you know, empty condo that was so beautiful, but she forgot to get anything and she doesn't want to make a trip to Ikea. I want to take Beanie Feldstein to Bed Bath & Beyond. So bad. (laughs) Um, Okay, we've got to answer a listener question. This is called I Said No Emails. People write into I Said No Gifts at gmail.com. Different questions, problems, this sort of thing. And then I help them. The guest helps them. I rarely receive a thank you. Um, will you help me answer a question? You know, the thought of someone being so discourteous as to not send a thank you card after their question is read on a podcast makes my blood boil. <laughs> but I think if I do some breathing exercises over the next 30 seconds, I think I'll be able to come down enough. To, okay, you breathe while I this. read this question. <clears throat> it says, Dear Bridger and yet another disobedient guest. So they've kind of just, they're going at it from the very beginning. It says, I need some help getting my dentist's office a gift. So the entire dentist's office. You see, I was terrified of the dentist for so long that I finally had to go in when I had a serious infection. Luckily for me, I ended up at the nicest office and they helped me through my year-long dental journey back to health. My doctor dealt with some big sobbing in the beginning, but was sweet and encouraging the whole way through. And the hygienists and front desk were so accommodating as well. This is starting to feel like a Yelp review. Um, Let's see. I'd love to get them a gift as a thank you, but not quite sure what's appropriate. Normally, I'd get some sort of sweet treat, but it feels wrong to send cookies to the dentist. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'd just like to make a small gesture that I appreciate all their help throughout the last year. Thanks for all your insights, Sarah. Yeah, some decent amount of assumptions here that there are going to be multiple insights. this kind of thing. But first of all, Sarah, you're talking to the wrong person. I've had 
a year of dental hell. The last thing I want to do is buy my dentist's office a gift. But we're going to try to think about your situation, your huge infection, your dental problems, and the way they've gotten you out of it. What do we get this person? What do we get this office? Well, I know with a dentist office, you know, I think about what a dentist office needs. They've got the news weeks that look like they've been peed on. <laughs> they've got the highlights magazines, the National Geographics. My first thought was um, a couple subscriptions to some to a higher upper crust of of magazine, a New Yorker, a Harper's 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 Bazaar, um, The Economist, The Atlantic. Hell, the National Review, give, give a little bone to the angry dad who's there, <laughs> his young teenage daughter who, who keeps crowing on and on about how she wants to read the latest uh, socialist essay in Teen Vogue. <laughs> uh, so my first thought is subscriptions, just to sort of pad out that waiting room. That's and I bet that's great. the last thing that the front desk gal wants to think about that, that, that the dental hygienist wants to think about that the dentist wants to think about. Who um, is at a dentist's office making these big calls on magazine subscriptions? I've never thought about that. Is it the dentist or is it the office manager or the huh. receptionist? Is it a collaboration? I think of it as the, it's whoever the, the, what's Pete Buttigieg's husband's name? Chastin. Oh, Dave. Dave, I don't know his name. Chastin? It's oh, like that's Chastin right. That's Chastin? Right. Chastin or Chastity. I'm immediately thinking of like a Pete Buttigieg-style dentist and his his sort of posh husband. Uh, I, I think of a Chastin Buttigieg, or Ch I don't know what Chastin's last name is, um, buying the the magazine subscriptions for the for the dentist's office. I think of it as like a spousal obligation. Oh, that's interesting. That makes sense to me, actually. Like, your dentist's spouse has launched their business, and you think, oh, what a fun treat for my spouse. I'm going to subscribe yes. to a variety of magazines. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, magazines, it really is just about thinking about what your dream dentist's office. This person, the Sarah person, is in the perfect position yeah. to improve her situation. Exactly. And make it seem like uh, something that came from her heart. So pick your favorite magazine. Maybe buy a fish for the fish tank. Fish for the fish tank. Or buy just a fish, and then the dentist's office is suddenly on the hook for buying an entire tank. Um, <laughs> or a full aquarium with no fish in it. <laughs> and leave the, pop, the propagation of the, the fish community to them. And if they don't buy the fish, suddenly it's filling with algae. It's this filthy <laughs> tank of water that's kind of driving customers away. Yeah. Do you uh, do you ever play Animal Crossing? I've never gotten into Animal Crossing. It okay. feels like it should be exactly the game for me because I loved Harvest Moon. I loved yeah. The Sims. But I think there's something about the absolute lack of goals in Animal Crossing that... Well, there's not quite an out lack of goals. And I will say that the new expansion, they have you designing homes for other people's vacations. Oh, so you have these like that. assignments and stuff. But um, when you give a gift, so, so much of Animal Crossing is about becoming good enough friends with your little penguin 
villager, your little bull villager, that you get to the point that you can give them gifts and you give them gifts every day. And you can very cynically do this by just digging up a fossil and, and wrapping that in wrapping paper and giving it to them. They love fossils. They flip the fuck out for fossils. <laughs> My favorite thing about giving gifts in Animal Crossing is when you give your little villager a gift, they will they will display it in their home. They will either display it in their home or they will immediately put it on. If you gave them a tracksuit, they will put on the tracksuit almost immediately. <laughs> if you give them a uh, like a snow globe, you will see the snow globe displayed in their home. It might be put on the floor next to the stove like because it's a, <laughs> it's a video game and it thinks like a computer. <laughs> But you go in and you go like, oh, there's the board game I gave Rodeo. Rodeo put the board game I gave him um, on a shelf behind his bed. That's that's good. Oh, look at that. It seems like Lucky really enjoyed the candlestick I gave him and he put it on the floor in front of the toilet. That's really cool. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that is the power of giving gifts is you put people in strange positions and the sarah person has the, a whole dentist's office that she can hold hostage yeah. send them all track suits and snow globes yeah put a piece of yourself into it that's why i brought up the animal crossing sarah is you can you, you could pretty much rest assured that that dentist's office is going to prominently display the gift you give them right and if they don't you can make them feel extraordinarily guilty <laughs> <laughs> where's the snow globe i know it's june I would, I would get i would get a friend you know i know some friends who do commissioned portrait work i would get a friend together to get together like an oil painting or a watercolor of you of <laughs> of of this young woman sarah sarah get a portrait of sarah and give that to the dentist's office and <laughs> maybe they'll put it up or send individual desk size photos of yourself to every member of the office so it's on every desk throughout the dentist's office frame them yourself <laughs> so that there can be no recourse to not putting it up on your on your little desk i mean what more could sarah ask for yeah what more could this dentist's office ask for she wants to be a part of dental history <laughs> and this is a moment to be a part of of that She's gone from absolutely avoiding the dental industry to potentially placing herself in a kind of smothering position on this office. She, she's yeah. having a hard time modulating her relationship with the dentist's office and with dentists in general is what the feeling I'm getting. Yeah, she's, uh, she, she doesn't really know where the line is. No, and, she uh, goes from like completely infected mouth, rotting gums, I can only assume half a half of her teeth left to now sending tracksuits snow globes photos of herself a, a painting a subscription to harper's bazaar yes with address to her just with the dentist's office address which is very confusing for everyone <laughs> it looks like the magazines are stolen all of the you know the dentist uh, what is it it's not a client a customer what are you a patient the patients are I'm deeply confused I'm reading the the Harper's Bazaar. I'm like taking the little perfume sample out of it and putting it in my purse. And I'm asking the front desk woman, does a woman named Sarah live here? <laughs> Who does someone sleep here? This looks like it's 
a residential sort of <laughs> subscription to a magazine. <laughs> of course, Sarah crawls out from under one of the hard plastic chairs and said, you rang. <laughs> <laughs> She's just turned the dentist's office into her kingdom, her kingdom of slime and Harper's. Oh, she, she lives in a weird rat's nest of Harper's Bazaar and Highlights Magazine. <laughs> Uh, she's, with her saliva, she's formed them into crude bricks. <laughs> Sarah, take all of this information. Don't leave any of it out. You've got to just follow this to a T. Otherwise, they're probably going to delete your records, and then you're going to be off in the dental wilderness again. Your mouth can't handle another infection. James, I now am so prepared to relapse into you know my life of I, i'm just going to reclaim my virginity yeah i've got i'm going to go for a life of complete abstinence uh now now let me ask you a question because you may already be there um because um i'm to understand you're homosexual and of course <laughs> homosexual uh sex sexuality does not count that's uh, because as because as we know only the only sex that is true is reproductive and um so am i to understand that you truly are a heterosexual virgin i'm not you're not a heterosexual so i'm virgin. i've got there's nothing i can do i've got to i can't reclaim i've got to reclaim you've got to reclaim okay I thought maybe we had a. I thought maybe we had. I know this it would little, have been so easy. I could have just started going back so to easy. church. Yeah, you, you would have already been there. Right. You already had it figured out. As far as this book is concerned, I'm already on my way to heaven. Uh, or I would have been, but uh, no. I, I think you're going. To, I think you're going to heaven. I, <laughs> I, th I feel like I can turn this thing around. I have a sense about these things. <laughs> I think. I think you're going to heaven. Thank you so much. <laughs> to be told I'm going to heaven over Zoom, what could be better? Bridger, you are going to heaven. <laughs> Look in my webcam. You are going to heaven. <laughs> what a fun thing to say to someone as you're killing them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Uh, Bridger, this has got to be in the top three podcast appearances that I've been able to make <laughs> and to, for us to truly have gotten to know each other through the podcast, I think is a God thing. And, um, <laughs> it's a God thing. I, I, there's no other way I can say it. There's no, I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I feel so close to you right now. I feel close to you. And listener, this is the end of the podcast. And I hope you've taken some lesson from all of this i hope that you're i mean i hope that you're not on amazon now buying the book i hope you were on it a half hour ago as soon as you heard the title of the book otherwise you're not serious about reclaiming your abstinence so please get the journal get the book there's it's never too late until you're in hell that point there's no turning back so i'm gonna let you go from the podcast and i hope you have a wonderful week and Happy New Year. Here we are. I love you. Bye-bye. I Said No Gifts is an Exactly Right production. 
It's produced and engineered by our dear friend Annalise Nelson, and the theme song is by miracle worker Amy Mann. You must follow the show on Instagram at I Said No Gifts. That's where you're going to see pictures of all these wonderful gifts I'm getting. You have to see the gifts. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. And why not leave a review while you're there? It's really the least you could do, considering everything I do for you. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, go to midroll.com slash ads. When I invited you here, I thought I made myself perfectly clear. When you're a guest in my home, 